You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. They could break here, Chelsea. This could be the moment. Frank Lampard for Chelsea. It's Carvalho to his right. Lampard for the title. Lampard, it's 2-0. It's Chelsea's championship. And 50 years of waiting have come to an end. Lampard comes out to Essien. Hello, welcome to Chelsea Hour. My name is Means, and I'll be your host for this one. I've got joined by two very special guests. I've got Dan Soft. What are you saying, bro? What's good? I feel like it's been ages since the last podcast. It feels like a month. So much has happened, man. I don't think this much has happened within the space of a month, generally. This kind of thing, it's literally been an eventful week, probably one of the most eventful weeks in football for a very long time. But we'll cover it in a second about and how it impacts Chelsea in in general in a a, a moment. But Babs, how you doing, my bro? Bro, this this week has been, I don't even know what to say. I'm all over the place. I'm feeling good, but... Yeah, there's just, just so much to talk about. I'm, I'm it, flustered, I'm flustered. It is proper mad. So after the, the, the what I guess, we could just break it down into little sections, I guess, because since the last podcast, we were gearing up to face Manchester City in the FA Cup semi-finals, which was a massive, massive game, a massive test for Thomas Tuchel. 
and, and everything he was really planning to do. But ultimately, so much things has happened. So I guess we could probably start with the FA Cup match. Um, and yeah, Dan, did you catch the game? Yeah, I caught the game. I was kind of casual watching, but I was watching still, obviously, it's FA Cup. Um, and yeah, it was good, but I came into it, I'm not going to lie, I came into it, maybe I'm a pessimist, but I came into it thinking, all right, cool, we're going out. Just because, what? I know it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, but just because we had a, a big Champions League match, do you know what I'm saying? It's Man City, it's not anyone, it's Man City, do you know what I'm saying? And I was just thinking, maybe it's going to be a step too far. And I don't know, in my head, Man City are like just levels above us. I think even Tuchel said, Tuchel said in the press conference, we have to be honest with where we're at. And there's a gap between us and Man City. Mm -hmm. And I know that Tuchel has been almost like a giant slayer, which is dumb because we're giants anyway. But against any other, don't forget, we had Lampard. When we came up against Leicester, I was worried. Just Leicester, like, just Rogers put the fear of God in me. You know what I'm saying? You know what? Um, Things have changed so much from Lampard, yeah. Lampard arc to the Tuchel arc. That's not saying that Tuchel's arc's been perfect, but the, mm. the change in energy and momentum has been astounding. Absolutely astounding. You know, and that's not without fault. So I think Tuchel, and we'll probably get onto a, a few things of the, I guess, the, the genius and a bit of the disaster of Thomas mm. Tuchel. But I completely agree. Babs, how are you feeling going into the game? I was a bit um, different to Dan because I know we had a little bit of a mini conversation during the, the podcast last week where we did our preview. And I know Dan was a bit antsy, as he said, but I looked at um, City's form and I thought they'd been quite shaky. You know, they had the loss to Leeds and they had two games against Dortmund where they didn't exactly look too convincing. And I did feel like going into an FA Cup fixture whereby there would be a lot of rotation I did feel there'd be a lot for us to go and get there because you look at City the way they play, they play the high line, there tends to be a gap on that um, right-hand side of theirs, or inside left. And I do know, and we all do know, that Timo loves that space. He loves to utilise it. He loves to run into space. And I felt that if we were to come into this game, we did have a good chance of winning it. And, you know, as they also say, man, like, look, it's, it's the FA Cup, the magic of the FA Cup, anything can happen. Anything <laughs> can happen. I mean, look, I was expecting a very good game, um, a very tactical game. So I was excited. Mm. I wasn't really too concerned about the result, but I wanted to kind of see how we match up against a big, a great team that Manchester City mm. are. I think like, I, I just wanted to see how it would, would kind of pan out. And to my surprise, I don't want to say we completely bopped them off the pitch, but I think we looked fairly comfortable throughout the game. And it was very surprising considering the form that City are on. I don't, I know you're going to say they looked a little bit shaky against Dortmund. They had their moments against Dortmund, but ultimately they're still a fantastic team and arguably one of the best teams in Europe. So I think, I think tactically Tuchel got it absolutely spot on. I think one people, one person I actually want to um, single out a lot of praise for is um, Jorginho. I think Jorginho has been absolutely excellent Oh, look at Dan laughing in the background. Hey, Dan, hey, Dan, it's Dan, crazy. You know what it is? Dan, Dan, okay, listeners, you know what? Dan is going to probably get onto me and a lot of a lot of you guys, in fact. Um, the notion, because I, I said, um, I probably said about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, saying that I don't think Eugenio is 
built to play in the Premier League. I don't think he's built to play in these high-level matches. I can concede that. Mm. I can concede. Oh, Dan, okay, you'll get your turn. Calm down. I can concede that, look, it's not necessarily the case. It's all about the structure. And if, you've got a, if you're a good enough player and you put him in the structure to thrive, then he will perform. And I think that Jorginho is playing under Tuchel in a way where he's got the structure around him to actually perform and do what he does best. And I think a lot of the things that he does well goes under the radar. So his ball winning is very, very good. His composure under pressure when there is a structure in place is very, very good. And I just think that his general defensive work as well as his play ability on the ball sometimes it is really good. Certain games, I just I just don't think that he does well. But in the, last, in the run of games that he's played under Tuchel, he's been superb, absolutely superb. So, Dan, I'm going to let you have the floor. All right, but before we get into Jorginho, do you know how I know we done well that game, the Man City game? The reason why I know we done well is because coming into the game, obviously there was the Champions League draw. Mm-hmm. We're obviously drawing against Real Madrid. A certain Dems who supports Real Madrid... As soon as we get drawn, we go in the WhatsApp group. What's he saying? Oh, we're going through this vinyl. It's going to be easy. Do you remember? Uh, remember? The energy. The energy. The energy. And then what happened? And then what happened after he watched us in the final against Man City? I got a message from him. Got uh, (laughs) at me in the group chat. Oh, (laughs) this semi-final is going to be peak, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's, you know what? But that's kind of why I was like coming to the match. I don't think we've played like a big, big team like that. I feel like the biggest team we've played, I think we played Liverpool, obviously. We played, we played Liverpool. Um, and that was kind of like a counter-attacking win. And then we played Atletico Madrid, kind of like a counter-attacking win. And I think people just expected against City that kind of us to kind of crumble. And I think after he saw that, Dems had to change his energy. He had to change his energy. He had to go real calma, calma. Because honestly, the way he was talking was so right. disgusting. Yeah. Like he probably wrote us off like, yeah, calm, fine, yeah. not a problem. He wrote us off. But then after that City game, he thought, hmm, hold on a second. Because the way we beat City as well, was it was so... I don't think we ever felt stressed. Mm. Game. I don't feel we ever felt stressed. There were moments where they applied pressure onto us, but I don't think that we looked stressed. We didn't look stretched at all. I think mm. we blocked off all their spaces, but also it wasn't a deep performance. We didn't sit back and mm. you know, exactly. wait for them to come onto us. No, no, no. Yeah. We played football. We, in fact, we played the better of the football between the two teams, controlled the game, created chances, really and truly... It, I think it was a comprehensive win, really. I think that was one of the most comprehensive one nils I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, because it was it was it was one nil, and then obviously offside is offside. I'm not trying to say it, but we had the offside goal that was almost like the mimic of the actual goal we scored. Yeah, and I remember. I think it was in the Discord. It was funny because Babs. I, I think it was in the Discord, and everyone was saying, "Oh yeah, ZH to Vern is a, a thing we can do." And Babs was like, "How many times has that worked?" And in, in that game, you had to kind of, you know, because it happened with the offside and then it happened with the actual goal. So so that, that's a hey, thing for I told my hands yeah. up. I was like, yeah, you know, it, it works. You know, you, you, you got me. You got, you got me red-handed. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, you know what? I mean? Almost for me, I don't want to see ZH playing if Werner's not playing or, or vice versa. Because them two... Okay. Does okay, anybody find now, it weird? You, you've led on quite nice. All right. To, to I, I, I'm going to ask a question, sorry. 
Wait, 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 wait. It just, it's just about pairings and partnerships. You've on quite yeah. nicely there because okay. I think generally, personally, Mount's performances this season have kind of put him out on his own where he should be playing in our attack, mm-hmm. um, considering how everyone else has really been underperforming. Hudson-Odoi, maybe he's not really had the platform to really mm-hmm. show whether he's great or should be a mainstay, but Mason Mount, with the platform he's had, and utilise it on the two call, I think it's very hard to really move them out of that, that role. So the two spaces are still kind of up for grabs. Now, Pulisic has come into fine form of late, mm-hmm. um, but then you look at Werner, the form of Werner, form of Hakim Ziyech, obviously Kyle Havertz has kind of been up and down a bit, but when we talk about pairings, I think it's funny because you look at the pairings of... Um, Ziyech and Werner, they seem to have a connection, but you've also yeah. got a pairing of Hudson-Odoi and Havertz. And I look at Havertz's performances, and most of his good performances tend to come when ha- um, Hudson's Hudson. in the team. And I, I, I don't know why that is, but it just it's quite interesting how you, you pointed to the fact that you don't really want to see one of them without the other right now because it just seems to be working together. Do you get it? Yeah, and it's, it's crazy for me because... Ziyech and Werner, if you, on paper, that partnership should be Ziyech feeding Werner. But for that's some exactly reason... That's yeah. exactly what I was going to say. It, but, I don't uh, understand it. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's, crazy. it's like some... It's, it's crazy, but um, Ziyech follows Werner. When, he, like, when Werner's getting down that side, Ziyech is sprinting. And you know he's not even that fast, but he knows. If I, I don't have to be as fast because Werner can do the cutback. So if I could just keep in, in you know, at least in touch, he's going to do the cutback. Because I remember even the City game, there was a time when Werner was going around um, down that channel and he was looking, because at this point now, I know Werner's not confident in shooting. So he was going down that channel and he was looking and no one was there. It's like, oh, I'm going to have to shoot myself because Ziyech was too far behind. And then Ziyech got there, but he got there late. Werner messed it up. But yeah, like Ziyech and Werner, especially against team, like, teams when they're spacing behind, I'm calm with that. I'm comfy. Um, Meads asked about Havertz and Hudson. My thing is, why is Havertz playing well with Hudson? In my opinion, both of those, compared to our other attackers, they are thinkers in terms of they don't, they're not like 100 miles per hour. They don't mind slowing it down. I know a lot of people, Hudson, they're like, go on, take him on, take him on, um, Hudson. But Hudson's like, okay, let me see who's around to work with. And I think Havertz is kind of like that. They're both kind of composed. Don't rush me. Don't rush me. I'm going to take my time. That's both for them. Whereas Werner is, I'm going to go all the way down and I'm going to cross in. Ziyech is, brother, I just want, whether I'm going to cross or I'm going to shoot, I'm going to do it straight away. But I I 100% agree. We've got partnerships working and it's, okay, how do we fit in? Because I don't necessarily want us to keep on chopping and changing. I just don't like it. I want us to settle. At this point, I just want to settle down. It's it's interesting because I I don't want to kind of skip over the City game. Um, But again, considering we're talking about partnerships, you just want to kind of look at the game against Brighton um, where we had Pulisic starting, Ziyech starting, Havertz starting. You're kind of getting rid of the pairing of Mm -hmm. Werner and Ziyech. And that's why I looked at the game and Ziyech looked absolutely dreadful. And I guess Mm -hmm. we could talk about the form of Ziyech um, in a second, but he looked absolutely dreadful. Pulisic didn't really look great at all, to be honest. Um, Habits looked really, really poor. Um, and I think, again, that kind of boils down to partnerships and understanding. Like, it's quite clear and ob- obvious that Werner and Ziyech have a clear understanding when they play with one another. Um, I know Werner likes to run in behind. 
and Ziyech tend to back it up with the play. And obviously, he's been getting those tap-ins. It's happening against Atletico. It's happening against yeah. Man City. So, it's, it's clearly a thing that, you know, it's clearly a thing that they've been working on. It's clearly a thing that, you know, uh, it's a means to attack. Now, yeah. when you chop and change and you add in other elements um, where you remove the pairings entirely, then it's no surprise that performances like Brighton occur. Um, but I do actually want to talk, Babs, in regards to Hakim Ziyech and uh, his selections and performances of late. I mean, I understand that, you know, what Tuchel's doing, because Tuchel's recognised that Ziyech has made no mistake, well, make no mistake, he's had big impact in our football matches um, with his goals and input. But would you say his actual performances on the pitch um, justify his selection? Um, I'd say yes and no. Yes, in the fact that I understand why he's playing him there. He didn't play for those high-risk passes. And, and in the both games that he's, he's been able to play, it's like the, the City game. I don't think he was able to exemplify it enough, and especially in the Brighton game. I don't think he was able to do it again because there was no Timo. But I did. I, I was hopeful that he could possibly recreate with, with Pulisic because I know that he is able to do his back post some crosses. You know, we saw the Ajax with him in comments. So I was hoping for him to recreate but... The no has to come from just like his overall play, you know, the position, the, just the possession of security. I mm. feel like the like when you have a player like in in that double in that that double ten position behind behind the strike, I just feel like you need players that are secure in possession. You know, they they are they're able to make those calm decisions that that Dan mentioned earlier on, and I just, and I just feel like he's not able to do that at times for some reason. I feel like it's just because he's like a, he's a high volume player. He likes to make um, as many opportunities as possible, and you look at the um, the Palace game. You know, like you, you compare it to um, the the game against Brighton, and you saw that just how 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 much more different it was. Mm. Having more calm players in and around the penalty area, like look, like when like when Kai had that goal, right? He, he looked like he had a, um, so much time on the ball. He looked like he had so much time on the ball. Uh, and then you compare it to against Brighton, where there were a couple of times where um, Zia had the ball on the edge of the box, and it just felt like he was rushing. And I just feel like, yes, I understand why Tuchel plays him. Obviously, because you know he he wants to try and get those high risk balls in because the reward is always going to be sweet. But mm. when it doesn't come off, it comes off looking like how he did against Brian. I just feel like these performances aren't exactly adding up at this point in time. Yeah, I I feel like okay now I guess we could talk about the Brighton game. I think Liverpool dropped points um, in the game before. Um, West Ham had dropped points, so we had a game in hand. We had an opportunity to go two points clear of um, of West Ham and uh, solidify and consolidate our position in the top four. Unfortunately, um, in that nil-nil draw against Brighton, um, we've allowed the window of opportunity to kind of slightly close, although that the top four is in our hands and we're, we're well in control of our destiny. It's just a bit of a shame that we didn't take the opportunity to, to capitalise on, I guess, our top four rivals, um, well, you know, their... their their, their, well, their failings. Mm. The game, um, I guess we could just talk about the starting lineup. Um, Dan, when you saw the lineup, how are you feeling? Because I, I saw it and I had my concerns immediately, but I, I want to know what your thoughts were. Rob, the way my memory works, I need to a reminder of the starting lineup. All right, so... I'll give you the starting lineup. Let me give you the starting lineup. Right, so we had Kepa Ariba Balaga in okay. goal. We yeah. had Reese James at right wing back. Mm. We had Aspilaqueta at right centre back. We mm. had Kurt Zuma in at centre back. Yeah, we had Kurt Zuma. It was, it was Christensen. Christensen. It was Christensen, actually. Sorry, we had yeah. Christensen 
And then we had Rudiger. And yeah. then we had Marcos Alonso. I yeah, yeah. Marcos Alonso at left wing back. We had a midfield pairing of Jorginho and Mason Mount. Yes. And then we had an attack of Ziyech, Pulisic and Kai Havertz. Okay, so yes, thanks for that. Um, now I remember, obviously the names that um, kind of just jump out at you, Kepa in goal, I'm glad that he's in goal because it's going kind of under the radar, but Kepa is clean sheet FC right now. Like mm-hmm. when he's playing, he's not scoring. And the Brighton game, he had some saves to make too. So mm-hmm. you've got to give a shout out to Kepa. But obviously coming into the match, I saw it and I was actually like, thumbs up, thumbs up. I, I don't mind him now. I'm getting comfortable with Kepa in goal. Um, and then we mentioned Reese right wing back. I'm disappointed because right, like when we're the aggressor, I said this to um, Babs before I said it. When we're the aggressor, I want to see Hudson Odoi. I don't want to see um, Reese James. I don't. I don't want to see it. So I was disappointed with that. Mountain midfield, that's almost like, okay, cool. I want to see. This is an experiment. Let's see. Obviously, he played well there for England in the pivot. I think he played a game maybe for Lampard when he dropped deeper as well. I think when Kovic, yeah. came off, I can't remember what game it is. And he was kind of pumping balls forward. So everybody mm. kind of like that. It was the Burnley game. Yeah. Burnley game. Yeah. yeah. So, so that, that was just interesting for me as an observer to kind of see. Um, and then the front three, Havertz, Pulisic, Ziyech. I didn't really have an opinion on that. I just, obviously we change it so much. I, didn't, I wasn't like, oh, this person shouldn't have started, et cetera, et cetera. I just said, it was like, okay, let's just see. So Alonso, left wing back, I didn't mind either. Those were my thoughts on the, on the starting lineup. Okay. What about you, Babs? Um, to be honest with you, I was happy to see that Aspie got a rest because I do feel like, as, well, as much as I understand why Tuchel wants him in the team, you know, having the captain, I just feel like at his age and, the, and how many minutes he's played over his career at Chelsea, man, he's, he's always been Mr. Reliable. I felt he needed that rest, you know, coming through some tough run of fixtures. Um, if I looked at the centre-backs, I was confident. I was confident because I feel like they've all performed to a to a varying degree. Like, against uh, Man City, I felt um, I felt Rudiger was good. It was a bit of a weird one because I felt as well, I understand why he plays um, Alonso, but I feel as though the reason why he's played Alonso is kind of like to push Chilwell. And I feel like Chilwell's response to that, and we've seen a bit more of like a level um, being raised from Chilwell. So I feel like I would prefer to see him there. But my main worry was kind of seeing the double pivot. Kind of that's that one of our key areas of of um of the field, how we build up play, how we retain possession. I was also worried about um the right wing back because yeah, as Dan said, you know, we, we had that um that conversation on, on the Discord during the during the Crystal Palace game. And I was literally shine, I wanna see us be on the front foot. And Dan was literally saying that, like, yep, we wanna see four attackers. And yeah, when I looked when I looked at it, I, I just I feel, I do feel as good as Reese James is going forward, I just feel like he's not as good going forward when he's already half in the pitch naturally. I feel like he's a lot better when he's starting off at right at right back. Um, yeah, that, that was it for me personally. And yeah, to see um Havertz coming was was nice to see, but I did feel like as much as I've not been a fan of this season, as you guys would know, <laughs> I feel as though Werner did deserve an opportunity to play that, that game. And I, I just felt like that um you know, the tinkering in the lineup, as as much as I understand it, to you know, get players rest. I did feel like when you're on a good vein of form, you know, we have good partnerships growing up, growing up already. I just felt like that would have been a good thing to see carried on going forward. I mean, I agree. I think when I saw the lineup, um, intrigue was the initial feeling. Um, I did have slight concerns in regards to creativity because although Hakim Ziyech is a, a productive player, 
and I say that in inverted commas in terms of him getting his assists and goals, um, I don't think he's necessarily a playmaker. And I think that that's one thing that Chelsea generally lack against, especially against these teams. I think that Brighton are very compact, know how to defend the spaces. I think they're probably one of the best defensive teams over the, in 2021. They're one of the best defensive teams. I think we've conceded eight goals. They've only conceded nine. So they've been a very, very secure team, very secure outfit, know how to close down space. And in those games, you always want to have a team that can carve and create opportunities. Um, Unfortunately, when I saw Reese James starting, and I've I've always said, I don't really see Reese James as a right wing back. I see him as a right back, a very good right back and potentially a very world-class right back. But as a wing back, I think you need so much ingenuity and so much... um, attacking intent um, to, to actually be uh, a quality or oh, a quality right wing back. And I just don't think he's necessarily got it. I think Chilwell was a bit different. I think you can you can afford to have a Chilwell on the side if you've got a hudson Odoi at right wing back, for example, because Chilwell is mm-hmm. naturally left back, but he, his defensive instincts tend to kick in, whereas hudson Odoi is more the attacker. So then it turns into a back four, a solid back four, and then you've got that auxiliary wing back um, that Hudson becomes. But whereas you, when you play with James, it is definitely like a right back playing that wing back. And he isn't that additional attacker. He isn't attack, um, uh, uh, backing up play from the wings or creating from the wings necessarily. He put in a couple good crosses, but beyond that, you're, okay, he put in a couple good crosses, but if you have Hudson on door, you're getting the crosses and you're getting the ingenuity as well. So, yeah. you know, I, 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 I didn't like that. Um, again, when it comes to the attack, Havertz, I, I didn't mind him playing, um, but again, about pairings. Havertz without Hudson Odoi, I weren't going to enjoy it. I've noticed that. I've noticed the pattern between them. I've noticed the connection between them. And then I saw No Werner and the ZH playing. Again, I wasn't too comfortable with that. Mason Mount in midfield. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of him there, but I, if I'm honest, um, he did kind of let me down a bit. Um, I think his performance was quite poor. Um, not only was his passing not hitting, generally his ability to, to screen and defend and, and just help his teammate in Jorginho in midfield um, was really, really poor. And I think Jorginho, shouts to him because he held it down by himself in that midfield, by, literally by himself. Um, but at times we got stretched because Mason Mount wasn't really assisting and helping um, or really knowing to play that role well enough. And I, that's not necessarily a slight on Mason Mount because as you know, I'm a big fan, but in that role, I guess, in the way that Tuchel wants his teams to play, maybe he's not quite ready or at the level to do that yet. And that probably can give you a... Um, it might actually also give an insight into Tuchel's thinking about not playing Billy Gilmore, because maybe Billy Gilmore might not be ready to actually sit in and play the same way that he wants. You know what I mean? So I probably probably would have preferred to play Gilmore over Mount in that position and probably give Mount a rest, but... Yeah, it just didn't turn out that way. And the game itself, I felt like we got completely bopped in the second half. First half, there was really a, 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 non, a non-fixture. There was nothing that really happened. Um, Chelsea had a lot of the ball. Yeah. Brighton were compact, but there was no creativity. Again, Hakim Ziyech trying his hardest to, to force things, but you've also got to bear in mind that he loses the ball a lot. He loses the ball a lot. He doesn't protect the ball. I think that when you look at Pulisic, um, Havertz is quite inconsistent with the way he protects the ball and u- utilizes his body. But of the two, of the three, ZH is by far the weakest in regards to protecting the ball. And when you have that, you get lots of turnovers. And 
it just looked a mess. And Brighton were trying to break on us as often as possible. Um, so it was just a wall a bit of a mess. And it kind of points back to the pairings and partnerships. And I just don't really like Ziyech without Werner. And I don't really like Havertz without Hudson. So, so yeah, it was just a poor, poor game. They hit the bar. They had they had more of the, the game, more of the, the play. Um, like you said, Kepa made a few decent saves. But I won't say draw was a fair result. I'll probably say Brighton deserve to win that game and we kind of got away with one but we got yep. we take the point we take the point and after the the furore of what's happened or what happened a couple of hours before the game you know what i mean the game had to get delayed by 15 minutes um it probably just leads us on to the biggest talking point of the week i think the the brighton game even went under the radar to be perfectly honest and i don't think that many people mind or cared about the result because the european super league um, was announced, I believe, on Sunday evening, um, yeah. which is crazy. During the Manchester United game, it was announced a certain teams, um, six English teams, which were Tottenham, Arsenal, uh, Manchester City, Manchester United, Liverpool and Chelsea were joining this European Super League, which was 12 teams of the top European sides. Um, and it was going to... Well, I was just going to provide additional revenue for the to the clubs. And I think there was quite a lot of misinformation that was getting bounded around, a lot of propaganda and a lot of a bit of a mess. But ultimately the feeling was from the overwhelming majority of people, fans, that this was the wrong thing to do. And there was a massive protest outside Stamford Bridge, which I personally, my, my, my thoughts on the whole, the whole issue, I, I wasn't in favor of the Super League. I wasn't in favour of it at all because I think football is about competition. Football is about the underdog potentially winning. Chelsea were once underdogs. Yeah, we were, we weren't once in this position that we're in now. Um, so for us, for, for example, for, for a team like us, with a potential like us, to be closed off to to ranks like these amazing leagues, or not even amazing, but these potential leagues, would be bothersome, and it is definitely unfair. Um, but that's just my view. And also, I did, did just the whole, that superseding the Champions League, everyone, when you watch football as a young fan, everyone that's either, either played football or watched it wants their team or wants to win the Champions League. And that being just rubbish and cast aside um, for this next thing just never really sat right with me. And the fact it was closed off, um, well, closed off to a degree. I, I just didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. So I was very proud of, to be honest, I was very proud of the Chelsea fans. I'm not really a big fan of the, the Yardars, but I was quite proud of the protest. And um, yeah, that's my position on it, to be perfectly honest. Um, but Babs, kind of want to hear your stance and we'll go on to dance off. Mm, mm, mm. Hey, I can't lie. I have to be very honest. On Sunday... When I first heard the Super League and I first heard the initial plans that the, of the elite teams playing against each other, I won't lie, I got sucked in. I, I got excited. I have to hold my hands up. I got excited. But then, you know, the, the always rational dance-off, he came in, you know, he, he made a good point. I won't lie. I still was swayed. I said, you know what? I do, I do want to see Chelsea versus Real Madrid on a weekly basis. I'm going to I'm 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 have to be honest with myself, you know. I, I, I did a bit more research. And, you know, as the information started dropping out, I, I thought to myself, like, I'm hearing from two very, very shameless sides. You know, we had Sky Sports on the left telling me this. You had, um, Do you had Don Perez t telling me that. 
and I was I was all over the place and slowly but surely I, I came to a middle ground the fact that I just couldn't agree with the fact that it, it was such an elitist thing in the fact we had clubs who had a this kind of like predetermined destiny of that they couldn't be relegated for X amount of years or whatever amount of years. And I have to come to myself and be honest and be and just be honest and say it just doesn't it just doesn't align my morals. And I, I, I know even just that, but as amazing as it would be, I just don't think it has the same heritage as like a Champions League. Because I have to be like if I if I look back at my childhood, you know, I didn't have Sky Sports and all that to watch football. And what the one thing I look forward to was ITV nights seeing the Champions League being played. And that was me growing up. I used to love it. Because that was like my one time during the week, I could watch football live. And then, you know, you grow up, you dream of being able to be in the stands. And I just feel like that it's kind of thing. It's the best quality football as well. The best quality. It's the best quality, football. it's the best quality football. And not even to say that the Champions League is perfect, because we've seen a lot of the, the reforms coming in. And to be honest with you, some of them are quite honestly disgusting. You know, the, mm. the amount of games they want to bring through. You know, they, they, they have a, a whole new legacy system, system as well, which is similar mm-hmm. to this. But, yeah, I, I just felt to myself that to have this predetermined destiny of having teams just having this God-given right to be in the competition, I just felt it was, ridic- I just felt it was ridiculous. And yeah. as much as I, I, I love watching these top-quality games, like, you know, the Bayern versus PSGs that we, were, that we were able to see, I just feel that having it closed off, having no incentive, you know, to, to be able to perform at the top level. You know, some people will disagree with me there, but I just feel like, I just feel like the, the current system they had in place, you know, the, the cheap, the absolute cheap to drop it during the game, during, during the, the, the business end of the season. I thought it was insane. Yeah. It was I, almost rushed. I feel like, I, I don't think it was a rushed process. In fact, I think mm. they've been planning this for a very, very long time. And I think they've been mm. talked about this for a very, very long time. Sorry. Um, definitely been talked about for a very long time. However, I think the execution and uh, the the arrogance in not believing that there was going to be a backlash of this level left them in big, big trouble. And I think that when it comes to these sorts of things, when you want to bring out news and when you want to make an announcement, you have to really be in control of the narrative. Mm. Now, when you do something like this, you need to bear in mind that you're announcing it on a global platform, generally the news channels, the media channels, pick it up first. So when you're briefing these media companies, bearing in mind that this has a direct impact with these media companies as uh, Ala Sky Sports, BT Sport, you will be in big trouble if you're not very, very careful and very, very considered with your approach. So Dan, I kind of want to get your thoughts because when we were talking about it, you seem very pro um, um, the ESL. Now, that I don't know if that position's changed, but yeah, let, let me know your thoughts. Yeah, so no, I've always been against the idea of um, no, like the fifteen protected clubs, and I've like yeah. So can I, can I also say sorry, Dan? Um, I also want to kind of clear up the misconception about relegation because in the Champions League there is no relegation; you just don't qualify. I think we need to kind yeah. of clarify and make sure that listeners understand that it wasn't necessarily a relegation thing or no promotion thing. It's just about the lack of qualification to um, available to all. And there's a, there's a, a kind of a, a disproportionate and imbalance for those 15 legacy teams, I guess. So yeah, sorry, Dan. I want to, uh, sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously, like, when it comes down to it, we've just had Lampard. We've just had a whole campaign of saying it should be a meritocracy. 
people shouldn't be in there just that there should be no predetermined winners so that flies in the face of everything I like I hate it and as Babs was saying the discord I was there and I think I was alone because everyone Mariah is very compelling and it came to like Mariah versus me and I was thinking my powers aren't strong enough for Mariah he had Babs he had the whole discord I was like are you guys listening and I, I had good points Babs back me up. I had good points, but then he was saying, "No, let's have it." Let's hey, have it. I, I can't lie, man. Wow. I, can't lie. So I, I won. At one point, I was on the fence. At one point, I was being pulled by Ryan. I can't. Hold lie. on, Dan. Are you basically saying that Babs threw one on the bus and left you to fight this battle yourself? I, I, I don't know because I feel like Babs is there to be won. I think Babs is there to be won. Sometimes, <laughs> hey man, hey, look, look. I, I'm a consumer. I, if there's a good product, I, I'm yeah. here to listen. I'm here this to is listen, this man. is what it is. I was bringing out good points, but Ryan was just like, "Hey, imagine this versus this." He was selling the picture, so I think I lost that. I lost that one. And I'm always in the favour of meritocracy. However, it was almost like an inverse between me and Babs, because obviously I started with, I, I don't want anything like this. But then, as Perez started doing his late night talk show, yeah, <laughs> as he started, and as the Madrid zone started to sell me dreams, I yeah. feel like, no, do you know what it was? I've never, I think just principally, I've seen how Arsenal fans are with the Cronkies. I've seen how United fans are with the Glazers. When I saw that board, it's, there's no way I wanted them guys. There's no way I wanted them guys. It, but it's, it seemed very um, shady because we know what the Glazers are about. You know we what the Cronkies are about. You've seen their CV. I, I, I don't really know. The FS, FSG, they paint themselves as the good guys, but I, I'm, I'm not really a big fan. So exactly. it just seemed very, very dodgy yeah. and seemed very cash-grabby. So... I can understand why there was a big backlash, massive yeah. backlash, but there were some ideas in the ESL that seemed quite good, but exactly. ultimately, ultimately, I feel like the organisers that are doing it and, and the board that were doing it, yeah. Perez, Cronky, Glazer, like FSG, I like Perez, but I think it's the other surrounding board members seem too very dodgy. To be and fair. They're all American. Yeah. I think that was another thing that made yeah. it, like, the yeah. British public thinking, oh, this, this doesn't quite seem right. And when you look at American sports and how commercialised it is and the fact that there is no relegation, there is no real punishment for failures other than, you know, financial gain or financial loss, I can see why a lot of people are thinking, you're going to strip away our heritage. Do you know what I mean? So I think that was the real backbone of the... the um, the backlash really backlash but for me for me like I didn't I was sad when Chelsea crumbled because as much as I don't want I don't want a league with them guys on the board and I don't want a league with you know like 15 teams that are safe no matter what however I was seeing FIFA crumbling like I was seeing UEFA crumbling I was like okay cool let's just hold on a bit let's before anyone crumbles let this rumble on let like FIFA crumble let UEFA crumble and I just I saw some some big institutions that I think are so corrupt potentially coming down and then when it, Chelsea crumbled it was like ah oh, now UEFA are strengthened again it almost felt like UEFA's hands have strengthened Sky Sports hands are strengthened FIFA's hands are strengthened and it was definitely like a rock and a hard place type of thing but I think hopefully what we're going to get is we're going to get a hybrid because I feel like sometimes with kind of like these institutions where they're just getting fed. And I feel like UEFA's just been getting fed. 
because really and truly, they're not the product, really and truly. It's the, the, the clubs that are making and um, buying all the best players to make the products good. UEFA's not done anything. They've sat on their laurels. They haven't reinvented the game, do you know, at all. And you talked about how you grew up with the Champions League. Not everyone did. Some people remember the European Cup. Now, I'm not that old, but some people do. And I do feel like there's something in, yes, we do remember the Champions League, but you can make it better. And that's what I liked about Perez, because I'm from the technology world. So I like people standing on stage telling you about new features that are being released. And so I just feel like, hopefully what we've done is maybe we come up with the best of both worlds in that now UEFA are going to realize actually let's be a bit more transparent in terms of where this money is going because as everyone's mentioning there's a big discrepancy with how much money is coming into the Champions League and you know how much the prize money is and really and truly in this day and age and I'll let Babs go in a second you see with creators when it comes down to it before you could get talent and pay them a pittance and pocket the large majority of the money. But now creators are knowing, actually, I'm the one the reason why people are watching this. So you have to give me more. And it's the same with football clubs. Football clubs are saying, why, why are you getting the large bag when everyone's watching for us? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like UEFA needs to be challenged and they need to basically give the money to the, the football clubs because these football clubs are struggling. But also I think that... Um, there needs to be a change because all of this Chelsea versus Krasnodar, um, as much as it was a tough match, and it's good to kind of introduce that, you can have two leagues. You can introduce people with the Europa League. Do you know what I'm saying? Because there are always going to be clubs that miss up that you can put into that and people will still watch it. But the Champions League needs, I, I think, it needs to be more compelling. I want to see the best against the best. Over yeah. to you, Babs. I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll pass it over to Babs in a sec, but I just okay. wanted to just add, um, I, while I completely agree in regards to, you know, getting these poorer, poor quality oppositions, but ultimately, I think the best thing about the Champions League is the journey. And whilst you get the dead ringer games like the Krasnodars, and, I think that, that that journey is what makes these competitions worthwhile. And that's not to say that I think that, you know, Krasnodar are, are less deserving than other teams to qualify for the Champions League. But whilst they make it, for them, you need to bear in mind a, a team like Krasnodar goes through multiple qualifying rounds. Multiple. So why are they less deserving? They, you know they, they win their league. Wait, they win their league. Yeah. Or win a, win a whatever couple. They win their league. They qualify for the qualifying rounds. They play three rounds of that to get into the group stage. Who are we to tell them that they're undeserving? I don't, I don't like that. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't like that. And, and when we talk about merit and meritocracy, that's a meritocracy. That is the perfect means of... That's even, you, you want to even argue that that's slightly even more unfair. Because they're the champion, they should really qualify straight away. And mm-hmm. rather than giving four teams to uh, the Premier League, um, you're, 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 you're incentivizing failure... Um, or uh, incentivize the feeling between fourth. Why are the champions of Krasno, of the um, of the Belgian league or the, or the champions of um, Kazakhstan are not in, included? Beads, where is Krasnodar from? Where, what league is Krasnodar I from? I, I knew it. I, 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 in fact, I know Krasnodar. Krasnodar's from um, what's it called? Um, Belarus, I think that's the Belarusian. Okay. All right, I'll double check so, that. We'll check that. I think it's the Belarusian league. Okay. You could check. You could check. But all I'm saying is, regardless of what league they come from, they've actually had. They deserve their position. They deserve their place. I, regardless I, of whether we're playing it, regardless of what league they play. Can I rebuttal? Can I rebuttal? can I rebuttal to that? 
so I feel like meritocracy kind of works both ways. As much as we don't want to, we didn't want the ESL because it's a closed off shop. I still feel like when it comes down to it, it's not necessarily meritocracy for just because you're the champions of a poor league that you come through. Now, I know they've also gone through qualifying hurdles, but I do feel like even though the Champions League is called the Champions League, let's be honest, it's not only the Champions League, um, so the champions that are inducted into this tournament. So it's no, not just one thing. Sorry for clarity. Krasnodar are from Russia. They're from like. All right. Russia. Okay. 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 To be fair, and to be fair, Russia's a decent league. It's a decent guy. Like, I thought that compared to Belarus or anyway. Uh, but here's what I'm saying. Yeah. What was I saying again? Yeah. Like it just doesn't. Just because you've kind of won a poorer league doesn't necessarily mean you need a seat at the table. It depends on what the remit of the competition is. Now, if the remit of the competition is, this is a league for the best of the best. I don't know who Krasnodar played in their qualifying rounds. I'll double check. But really and truly, they need to sit down and say, okay, what is this? Is Do we just want a gang of champions from different club um, leagues in Europe to play in a competition? Or do we want to make this a league where actually it's a meritocracy and we try to make it a tournament with all of the best teams in there? Now, I feel like that's why we're, we're in a kind of halfway house right now, because they're saying, no, we actually want a league where it's the best of the best. Whereas um, UEFA are saying, actually, let's just try to include as many countries as possible. And I feel like if you I feel like it's OK to kind of split that and have maybe a Europa that includes as many countries as, poss as possible, but then have a, an elite league where it's not. Let's try and get as many countries as possible in there. It's let's try and get as many of the best teams as possible in there. And I feel like that, as a competition, is more compelling. And I, I get what you're saying in terms of building, but I do believe you can also build with good teams too. Mm. Okay, no, that's fair enough. I mean, I think there's an argument for both sides. I don't mm -hmm. think there's a completely wrong answer. I mean, I think just the implementation and the execution of what the, the European Super League tried to do um, I just think it was really, really poor. And it's unsurprising why like, it was met with a, a backlash of that. So now the aftermath of it is kind of big because um, it could actually have massive ramifications with our position in the Champions League. Now, what makes that even more funny? And I, I don't know if that's really true because three of the 40, three of the 40 remaining in the Champions League final, Champions semi-finals revolted and decided to move and join the ESL and now have since moved out. Um, I don't think they'll cancel the competition because there's a lot of money involved, lots of sponsors. You know, mm. I feel like generally UEFA are all about their money. Um, so I just, I don't, I don't see it being cancelled. They will probably try and impose some sanctions as much as possible. I don't think legally they have any legal rights or, or legal grounds to stand on for, you know, um, the clubs trying to move on to another organisation. Um, but it remains to be seen. This thing is really bouncing on and continuing on and um, never seen anything like it, really. Never seen anything like it. You've, there's always been discussions lingering about, but to see it actually happen in a day, then crumble the next day, absolutely insane. Absolutely insane, Babs. We're gone. Yeah, it is insane. And one, one of the things that I found almost ironic is the fact that you wait for all of a sudden, they found four billion out of nowhere. Mm. And, it, and it goes to say, like, you guys are earning this much money, mm. you're awarding the clubs a small pile of money, so where's the rest of the money being hidden? Mm. You know, Don Perez made some good points. He said, how yes. much are these officials being yes. earning? We need to know. We need, we, need, we need honesty. We need transparency. And I feel like 
that is a good point. But one of the things that scared me from the ESL is the fact that when you have these guys, right, being chairman, for me personally, you need to have an independent regulatory board. Yeah. And the fact that, I was going to say, the fact that we don't know if this is even a possibility, because for all we know, they may have had that. But that's when it comes to the, the thing of them having FAQs. That you need to come. That's and that's why I thought it was it was um, disorganized. Because I feel like if you're going to bring something like this, you need FAQs. As as Mead mentioned, you need to be able to control the narrative because you know yeah. your competitors that are that are currently in hold of the norm, they're going to be on your case. And I just feel like the way they came at, at us, you know, they, they didn't really they didn't really have the fans, you know, in mind. It was more so they 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 had the bag. You know, they, they, they were seeing dollar signs, they were seeing billions, you know, they were seeing 30 billion for the account. But they, they, were, they were excited. 30 million for the account to you. That's cool. <laughs> like, bro, they, didn't, they didn't think about us. Yeah. It's I'm not saying that Sky do, but yeah. It's like, saying, it's like what we're saying, basically. If, if you are not able to control the narrative on how this news filters out, then you're in big, big problems right from the jump. And it just looked immediately as it was announced. I think it's almost like Gary Neville... Gary Neville's reaction is what built the, 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 the basis of Sky News's, I guess, or Sky, Sky as an organization, mm-hmm. Sky B. I think yeah. Gary Neville's emotional rant is what kind of built their foundation of what they can attack this narrative at, right? Mm-hmm. So if, for example, Gary Neville didn't say anything, Gary Neville said nothing, and it's Sky have to formulate an idea as to, to what, what, they can respond to this. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. I feel like I don't think it would have been the same. I think Gary mm-hmm. Neville's rant yeah. connected with the fans. Yeah. Right? When you connect with the fans and the, the, the watchers and the, 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 the spectacle, um, um spectators once you get into the hearts of them you win ultimately you're going to win and the large majority of spectators and fans were in agreement and had the same feeling as gary neville but that's not to say that sky had the same intention sky all about their money sky all about their money all these media companies are all about their money uefa all about their money the premier league are all about their money so you know i i I understand that there there absolutely needs to be reform. And I'm hopeful that coming out of this, at the very worst, the Champions League, UEFA, even the Premier League, start assessing what they can do to make things a lot fairer for the bigger clubs. Because it's right. The bigger clubs do bring in a large pool of the money. Yeah. 
that doesn't mean that they need to keep all of it, but they need to be getting their fair share. And I don't think that, you know, especially all the infrastructure that, that's given in the Premier League, whilst in the 90s, the Premier League brought with these infrastructure to make the stadiums better. Right now, the clubs are doing it themselves. So where's the incentive for these big clubs or for these clubs generally, if they're doing all the heavy lifting, where's the incentivization? They need to be incentivized. Um, so that this, this, the threat of the Super League goes away for good. So it's, you, know, you know, it's a bit of a mess. Yeah, just quickly on it. I was saying this, and I've been saying, I remember in our group chat, we said uh, like a couple of years ago, and I was saying that the pre- I think at this point, I think I, um, this was like a three, four years ago, and I was saying that the Premier League will come back because I remember at this time, Jose Mourinho was still in La Liga, uh, Pep was still in La Liga, and I was like, all the money is here. All we need is all the best managers because sometimes you can have all the money, but you can spend it on the wrong uh, players, as we know. We're Chelsea fans, right? But when you have managers with taste and all the right the money's here, all the right managers are here, so all the best players come here, no one can compete with us. And we've seen with La Liga, it's dusted. They're struggling. They're starving out there. They're like, they've been relying on Messi and Ronaldo for the past 10 years. Obviously, like there's obviously been Suarez and Neymar and Modric. There's been good players, but right now they are struggling. And I've seen it because I'm old enough to know when the Italian league was the premium league and all the best players was there. And I've seen the shift go to La Liga. And this is when the shift was coming to the Premier League. And all of a sudden, they want to do the Super League. They want the Premier League to prop up their league. And I was like, what are you doing? Because when you think about it, there's six teams from the Premier League invited. Why do you think that is? And the reason why the Premier League are able to do it is because whereas in they were greedy in La Liga, they were greedy in Italy. And they just let the big teams get bigger without helping out the smaller teams. But the Premier League... Just quickly, the Premier League, obviously, they made the system where the TV money gets divided. So even as the bigger clubs get bigger, your smaller clubs get bigger too. Yeah. And so when I'm looking at it, I'm thinking everybody in Europe should look at this model and say, this is the model. If I want to create a new league, create this is the one that worked. Yeah. Use this. So I was, re- I was really disappointed with Chelsea, especially because I don't care about the other clubs, but like on our website, they put it out. And you could tell they were shook ones because they didn't even sign. There was no one from Chelsea that signed it. It was some Arsenal guy on the Chelsea website signing a statement. I was like, why am I reading from an Arsenal guy? Why am I reading from an Arsenal guy? So This is exactly it. Like, when I saw the statement, well, first of all, when I saw the tweet, Chelsea, generally, when we're excited about things, as a club, as an announcement, we do this whole big uproar. Oh, we're doing this, this, that, it's this. But this literally said two words. Club statement. Yeah. I knew, I knew there and then the club were not happy with this. I knew. And I said it in a chat. I said it in a chat. I said, Chelsea have, and I said it right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I said, Chelsea have done this because they did not want to be left behind commercially, right? Because Mm -hmm. Chelsea are a very, I want to say, insecure club. Not in a sense that we feel like we have to prove ourselves at the European Elite, because we've done that. But just generally from a from an infrastructure sort of thing, Chelsea have got the smallest stadium mm. out of the top teams by miles. Smaller than Spurs, smaller than Arsenal, smaller than United, smaller than Liverpool, and smaller than Man City, right? So from a commercial aspect, I can completely understand that, look, these clubs have got bigger stadiums than us. If they join the Super League, they're going to go clear of us, generally, right? However, and, and one thing that Chelsea fans should also recognise also is that 
the, the, the pitch owners, who again did a fantastic job in, in the protest, by the way, um, they blocked Roman Abramovich from buying Stamford Bridge um, for probably this kind of reason, I guess, because the, having the strength and the capacity and the, the power to stop the club from being called Chelsea is a big deal. It's mm. a big deal. And it stops you from acting ridiculous, right? And some might say, including myself, making this decision is ridiculous, right? So the threat of, oh, your asset being Chelsea Football Club can no longer be called Chelsea because mm. you've made a really bad decision is a very real threat. So the pitch owners, as much as people see it as, a, as an evil, I believe it's a necessary evil because it protects the club and, it's in, and the fans and it's basically the stakeholders um, from commercial anarchy. Um, and can I, can I quickly say as well, we're going to also make sure that Chelsea can't call themselves Chessy because we'll have the Chessy pitch owners too. Exactly. Exactly. And then they call them Chelly, Chessy and then they start paying us royalty for using our yeah, Exactly. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's just one of those things where as much as people weren't happy, well, there were, certain, there were small people that were happy with the potential of change. And I understand that change, sometimes change is great. But the way in which this wanted to change, the direction in which this wanted to change, for me, was not great. For, it wasn't good for the sport of football. It, in fact, it would have actually ruined it for me. Um, because it, you're rewarding failure. And the fact that a team like Arsenal will be continuously rewarded for failing when you've got teams like West Ham, like Leicester, that are trying to progress, trying to move forward, like even a Leeds, for example. Teams that have come up from the doldrums to try and re re reclaim their once um, glory days. They're trying to do the right things. Mm. And we're, we're rewarding people for their complete and utter failings. I, yeah. That would piss me off. Do you know what? Fan, it'll piss me off. You, you made a point quickly about um, the tone of Chelsea's statement as well. Like, you can see the tone of Arsenal and Spurs' statement. Them guys was happy. Bro, Chelsea, oh, my God, the Tottenham announcement. Yeah. We are one of the founders. We are oh, one of them. We like, are one of the founders. We're chosen. We're chosen. That we're the chosen founders. You know what I'm Chelsea were like... Oh. They were so happy to oh. hang, but with Chelsea, the tone of it was almost like, do you know when we do a second? That was so the tone down. of it. Yeah, that, it was, that so, was the tone of it. From the beginning, and that's why I said from the beginning, Chelsea, I just knew, and especially someone like Roman Abramovich, right? who throughout the years in which he's owned the club, we have known what he's about. He loves football. He loves mm. football. He loves the competitiveness. He loves us being the underdog and changing people's minds. He loves that. So for the board to make this decision commercially, I don't think Roman, not necessarily, I don't think he didn't sign off on it, but I don't think he thought this was a good idea. I yeah. think that Roman you know thought this was a good idea. I think I don't think they fully briefed him. I feel like he was like, okay. I, thought, I I don't think he knew the implication of everything. I think he just he's one of them people that are power man. He's like, I'm trusting you. You're saying this is good, okay? Because don't forget, Roman kind of brands himself as a man of the people. You can see with the movements in terms of what happened over COVID. You can right. see with his Forbes article, he's saying we're going to clamp down on sexism, racism. Like he's trying to kind of. This, this kind of take away this kind of elitism thing for him and saying, no, actually, I care about the wider people. So when, when we were announced with it, I was like, this doesn't really fit. It doesn't feel like Roman. It didn't thing. feel like Roman. And that's why I said on the Discord, I was like, I made the connection mad early. I was like, we got Buck. They got Cronky. They got the, the FSG. I was like, this is some American shit. And also, 
one thing that I knew straight away, the moment that there was no Chelsea member on that board, I knew we were being shagged. Some way, yeah, yeah. or another, we were being shagged or we were not involved from the beginning and we arrived very, very late. In fact, we might have been one of the teams that were going to potentially be left off it and be an invitational team only because the fact that Chelsea, one of the biggest teams in the world, eighth richest team in the world, what part of the board yet something like Arsenal was didn't make any sense any sense yeah. so I knew I, I yeah. knew I knew Roma wouldn't be happy with it uh, and ultimately I knew the moment that there was backlash from the Chelsea fans it was done it was done I knew the moment it was because Roman isn't about mess Roman doesn't like mess especially public mess so I'll be very very shocked if somebody from the board isn't sacked, very shocked because Roman runs a tight ship and the way that the mess has spilled over and cut, not ruined his reputation because I think, funnily enough, Roman's reputation has kind of been solidified um, because Roman is known to be, you know, a person of the people. So it's just, it's a bit of a mess for me. It's a bit of a mess, but hopefully... You know, the ramifications aren't that great. And if we have to pay a fine to exit this league, then so be it. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I think, I, think you're, I think you're spot on there. You are spot on there. Like, Roman's a man of the people. You can tell he's very business savvy. He, he knows how to actually... And when I say business savvy, I, for me personally, and it's something I've learned even at work, the, the best people in business are people that know how to delegate. You know, they're able to give like roles to people like Marina, Bruce Buck, you know, just being able to spread out roles, you know, being able to spread out powers and having an effect in this movement and ship in business. And I feel like that's something that Roman's always been able to be good in doing. You know, he's always looking after, after Chelsea from the Women's League to the Academy. He was probably one of the first owners to actually properly invest in like proper Academy facilities over the years. And you can just tell that he's not somebody that's just there to like make money off the club. And I feel like you, I, I felt almost like, I felt almost like disgusted and shocked in the way that like, Jamie Carragher and Neville like, were like, you know, owners like Roman Abramovich and Shakeman. So, and, and I feel like those are probably two of the best owners in England, you know. Yeah. They're the owners that invest in their club. They don't take out of their club ridiculously. And yeah. they actually invest in their club as a whole, their city as a whole. They try mm-hmm. to add back to, to the community. And I feel like sometimes I feel that like there is a bit of xenophobia there coming, coming from some of these people because I feel yeah. like everybody's thinking, oh, you know, we want our British owners, we want our British fans, you know, we want everything British, British, British. And I feel like Football's a global sport, and if if you're not um exceptional people, I, I feel like it's a bit of a it's a bit of an ironic thing where you look at these clubs and you see that some of their best players are foreign players. So I just feel like seeing that from Carragher and Neville especially was a bit of a bit of it was a bit of a dodgy thing, you know. Yeah, personally, anyway. I don't know if you had something to say about that, Dan. No, that's a good point. Like I, it hit me too when they were saying it, and this is kind of why like. It's a Man United guy, it's a Liverpool guy. We don't necessarily have a Chelsea guy there, but the way they was just able to push, do you know what I'm saying, him in with all of those guys, like really and truly, he, he shouldn't be there. And I think he was the anomaly to me. Him and the City guys, to be fair. And I was saying on this one, like they invest in the City. I know a lot of people are saying, yeah, these guys, maybe they're doing, I don't know what, in, in Dubai and stuff like that. But these guys, just in terms of what they've done in Manchester, they invest in the City. So it was really odd. And it doesn't surprise me at Chelsea. Um, Chelsea, it doesn't surprise me that Chelsea was the first to leave, and it doesn't surprise me that City followed. Um, and it, it was, sorry to cut you off. Yeah. Um, 
I, I completely agree. I would say Gary Neville did actually cite that Man City, he was surprised. He said that Man City don't need this money. We don't know. Yeah. And he was disappointed in Man City because he knew, he knows about the work that Man City do around, the, um, around Manchester. Manchester. He knows. So he was disappointed in that regard. But I don't like, and I completely agree, I don't like the way he tried to lump them into the Gazidis, into the Glazers. Okay. It's just not the same. It's really just not the same. And especially Roman Abramovich, as much as he spent at the club on his, on his team, what he's done around the area, what he's done for the NHS, I don't think you could call into question his his loyalty to not only the um, the club and the surrounding areas, but what he does for I guess for the country in general. So I, I don't I don't like that. I didn't like that angle at all. Bit of a mess if I if I if I do say so myself. But anyway, I think we've covered that quite enough. And onto the absolute massive game against West Ham this Saturday. Now God. Every game against West Ham is a big game, right? Every game. But this is absolutely huge. This is huge. Because West Ham, if they win, have the potential to actually finish above us one in the Champions League two. Mm-hmm. And this could potentially be the start for them of a new new era, really. They've got the new stadium. They've got, they're going to probably be getting more money. If they get Champions League football, it's a new feeling for their club. And it could be the start of something. That's not to say that Chelsea, it could be the end of Chelsea, but it's, it's a big game. And it could kind of culminate in a, in a multitude of ways. Now, Dan, yeah. if we lose against West Ham, would you say Tuchel... No, okay, in fact, because it's such a big game and because our run of fixtures, our next five or six games in the league are very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that leaves us in the race of the top four? It's it's difficult already, man. It's sticky already. Just looking at the table now, it's sticky. Obviously, this is a big game. I don't like... Whenever people talk about West Ham, it's like, ugh, why? We, we're back end. We're business end of the season. We're talking about West Ham. But that is testament as well to the job that Moyes has done. I think sometimes people forget what Moyes did at Everton. And to be fair, I even forgot that because he was looking like a waste man for a couple of years still. But I feel like this... What he's done at West Ham has reminded us that actually, yeah, he, he was a good manager. And the reason why he got the Man United job is because he earned, well, kind of, do you know what I'm saying? He wasn't that bad. But yeah, West Ham, um, it's, it's such a sad situation that Chelsea are <laughs> But this is, what, this is why the Super League is, is dumb, right? Because obviously West Ham can have a good season and you should be like, we need to kind of settle it. But it's, it's for me, it's just so difficult to predict Chelsea because... Our attack, as much as we are good in terms of like holding on possession and, and not conceding usually, our attack gets rotated so much. And I don't know who's going to start. And like the, the Crystal Palace game, yeah, we, we slapped them four, but under Tuchel, we don't usually score more than one or two goals. Um, so, yeah, so like it's a big game. Um, the, it's a big game. The, like the, uh, was it Albion game? The Albion game, Brighton Albion game or whatever. They were. It didn't feel like a big game, maybe because of the crowd of what was happening with the Super League. But this West Ham game feels like a big game. And what I can say is, under Tuchel, when it's come to big games, we've delivered. However, I've been saying to Babs, like he's not aggressive. We should be more aggressive against teams we should beat. We should be playing, like I said at the top of this podcast. I want to see Hudson Odoi as a fourth attacker. 
on the pitch in a game we should win. I know this is a big game against West Ham, but don't think about defence. I don't want to, like, obviously I'm a fan of these games, but I want to see four attackers, basically. I want us to be positive because, uh, damn. Like, obviously if Reese James plays and we win, cool. But I'm going to be fuming if Reese James starts and we lose because I feel like the storyline is telling us be a bit more attacking in these games where we are the aggressor. You're on mute, my bad. I completely agree. I completely agree. And when it comes to the, the lineup, I definitely need, I think, especially, are we at home? I think it's away. I think it might be West Ham away. Yeah, it's away because we won the home game. Three we won the home game on the Lampard. So I, I honestly think we, we need to play aggressively. I don't think West Ham are going to be coming at us. And because it's a big game for them, they will sit back and try and hit us on the yeah. counter. So we absolutely need to be picking them off. And we don't need to be firing crosses into, into, into the box, especially when they've got very big centre-backs. They've got very big big and dominant centre-backs in Dawson. So I, I just it, it, we need to be a little bit more cute. And when it comes to that, you saw against uh, how we played against Crystal Palace. Absolutely need to play a Hudson in there, in my opinion. Absolutely. Because he, he is in a locker. Unfortunately, no one else in our team really unlocks doors like he does. Um, but it's going to be an interesting game. So I'm going to get your lineups for the game and then I'm going to get your score predictions. And then I guess we want to build up to, to the big game against Real Madrid on Tuesday. But yeah, it's a big week for Chelsea. Big, big week. So Babs, I'm going to get with you, start with you. What will be your team mm. for, the, for the West Ham game? Um, so for, for the West Ham, I'm going to go a bit right, a right side heavy because I checked on West Ham and both their left backs in Cresswell and Masuakawa are injured. So, yep, I feel like that's the perfect opportunity to play a reach, uh, uh, sorry, a Calamos in the door there, you know, to create the overloads. On the left, I'm probably going to go with Chilwell because I feel like his athleticism is always helpful. Uh, you know, the West Ham pitch is big. I don't really want to see Alonso <laughs> running, running back against yeah. them on the counter attack. Um, in terms of the back line, thankfully, as we discussed them um, off, off the podcast, me, um, Antonio's are injured. So, Christensen can play. You know, he's not going to get bullied yeah. around. Like oh, 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 oh. Stay calm, big man. Yeah, stay calm. Because hey, Christensen, Christensen has come up against big players, big physical yeah, players. True, true, especially, true. But, and hey, he's bro, done his we, thing. We know what happens when it's Antonio, man. No, you no, no. no, no. Antonio is super PNP, right? Mm. And he probably will munch a lot of people in the league. But please, mm. let's not compl- look. Christian has been on a great run of form. I'm not going to allow this. Quality, man. He's the quality. I'm not going to allow this respect. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So, um, Christensen, Zuma, and Rudiger. I'm going to go with that. Uh, a nice and tall lineup because you know they, they had that um, attacking threat from t- Thomas um, Suchek, Shush- um, and yeah. he's not injured, unfortunately. Um, in the midfield, I feel like that's that's the battle we can actually win for once because Rice is out, so they don't really have a, that big competitive um, midfielder there. And if they're playing no ball, there's going to be a lot of time to actually get the get the ball and like be and be very um be very aggressive, you know, with the ball. So I'm going to go with um, Jorginho and Kante because I feel like they've had good um, chemistry. They've had they've had good chemistry when they played together, and I feel as 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 much as I like Martin midfield, I just feel like that double six goal is just not for him. I don't think he's ready for that tactically yet. You know, he obviously hasn't been able to play that previously. So in the business end of the season, I don't want to say that risk. So yep, Jorginho and Kante. And then for my front three, um, for me, it's, it's an interesting one because, interest, shockingly enough, like West Ham, they don't really play a deep line. 
mm-hmm. don't know if you guys are recognized. They, they don't play a deep line like that. You know, the, yeah, it's, it's surprisingly high. Like, it, it regresses obviously naturally as, as teams come onto them, but I just don't. I feel like there is space to be taken advantage of. So for me personally, I'd probably go over Pulisic, a team of Werner, and a Hakim Ziyech. Ooh, okay. And the reason why I say that is because I feel like having that um, outball from Ziyech on the counter attack to two quick um, attackers and left in um, Pulisic and Werner is going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be cash money. I would I, say, I would say, that, right. just a quick, quick rebuttal to that. Go for it's it, go only for it. cash money if those passes hit. His passing Ooh. hasn't been hitting, bro. His passing yeah. hasn't been hitting. So you're right. So, oh my god. Oh, oh, oh my! Sorry, I completely forgot. Yeah, you can't because no, you can't be leaving money mace out the team, bro. It's got to be money mace. You can't be leaving money mace out the team. I almost forgot him, but I thought you did on purpose. You need to. I generally didn't do it on purpose. I generally didn't do it on purpose. Team out of there, bro. But yeah, so let me let me rethink. Let me rethink this. So I'm gonna go Mount Pulisic, and you know what? I'm gonna have to go Kai. I'm gonna go Kai. You have to. That's, that's been our most like fluid attack. I, I can't like I got a bit excited that with that over the top three ball, but yeah, like, I do it, back bro. to my senses. I, I almost forgot. I almost forgot. I almost forgot. And if I'm going to go for score prediction, <sighs> you had me um, panicking, bro. You had me panicking. <laughs> it's gonna be um, for me. I'm, I'm always situational with, like, with football games because like Dan knows that like, if he's, he's in this good to me, like first twenty minutes, I'm I'm, I'm always I'm even saying, oh, I can smell a draw. I can smell a draw. Or mm-hmm. I'm liking the way it, it seems and. If we start fast like we did against Palace, I could see it being a 3-4-0. Yeah. If it's a slow game, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a 1-1 or a 2-1 to us. So I'm yeah. going to go I'm going to go over 2-0 Chelsea. Okay, um, cool. Probably, yeah. Yo, so I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'll say from the beginning, obviously, I want Mendy back in goal. Um, Hudson-Odoi, I don't have to say I want him right wing back because um, I want to play four attackers. A chill left wing back. I think the pivot picks itself, Jorginho and Kante, because Kovacic is out. Back three, we want Aspi back, Rudiger, and then I don't mind, is Thiago fit? Thiago, I, I don't think they're managing his fitness. So okay, I, 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 don't, I don't even mind Christensen or, or Thiago. Now we're talking about the front three. Um, and do not kill me. But uh, what I'd go with, if especially if Babs is saying they play a high line, I would go with Werner Ziyech. Nah, man. No, 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 no. I'm not going to go with Werner Ziyech. I would go with Werner Ziyech. I would go with Werner Ziyech if it's a big team, but they're not a big enough team. I'm going to go with... um, I'm going to go with the the, the lineup you said. Mount, Pulisic, and then Havertz. So those four, in terms of those young four attackers, Hudson-Odoi, Mount, Pulisic, Havertz, you cause damage. You you Mm. cause damage. I agree. I feel like I agree with you guys, team. Um, I, it's very difficult for me to not include Reese James because, you know, I love him, but I just don't see him as a wing-back, especially when it's a team or a game where you have to be the aggressor. And I think if we want to be a serious team and get top four, we have to be aggressive against West Ham. We absolutely have to, especially when they're missing key players. We need to be aggressive. Um, again, we don't really allow teams to have that many shots at us not allowed to create that much. So we need to be in a position where we can actually cause damage. And I think we create more damage and create more when Hudson's on the pitch than Reese James out right wing. Um, so I completely agree. Now, depending on that game, we don't know what the result will be. Three days after, 
Less than 48 hours, well, less than 72 hours after, we've got a massive, massive game against Real Madrid in the semi-finals of the Champions League. Boys, <laughs> I know it's a bit far uh, ahead right now, but how would your team be for that game? It's far, it's, it's far ahead. It's far ahead, but um, I'm bringing... This is what kind of convinced me. I'm bringing Werner Ziyech in. I want to see that against Real Madrid. I want to okay. see it. Because Ziyech, don't forget, even the Burnley. Do you remember when he scored Burnley? Like, for some reason, Ziyech in the box. Like, he could... Fit, he's, he's on it. Like, what I didn't mention it, but Havertz had a chance in the, the Brighton game where it was the kind of tame. Yeah, it was yeah. tame. And, like, I've seen, like, even his chances in the Leeds game, like, sometimes it's a bit tame. And, like, yeah. when it goes in, it looks good. But when the keeper saves it, you're like, well, wow, why don't you just put some power behind it? Yeah. But here with Ziyech, I feel like I tr- I'm trusting him more and more in the box. So, exactly. to be, so v- Werner, Ziyech, and then maybe Mount, because just because like Mount is Mr. Chelsea and like he's gonna what he's gonna put everything on the line. Yeah. So it's difficult to l- leave Mount on this big night. So yeah. that's what I'll go with. And then a similar, no, then then maybe Reese James and for Hudson Adoy. I'll allow it for that game. Yeah. What are you, Babs? Yeah, but before Dan even said his name, I wanted to actually give some team news because I I I like I followed I followed Madrid a bit just because of, you know I knew we had that game against them and yeah they have they have a lot of a lot a lot of injuries you know Cruz is, hey. is out Cruz is currently Cruz is currently out injured Mwah. are you sure Valverde, they're going to surprise us Valverde has COVID Mwah. Mendy's out till May with a couple Mwah. injuries so that right that right spot is open. Bow. Modric, Modric currently has a back injury. Thirty-six-year-old Modric. Ramos again injured as well. So don't gas us. I don't us. know about you guys, but if don't speak, don't speak, don't speak, don't speak. I think we should be a lot more attacking in the first leg. That's what I want to okay. say. Okay, that's what I want to say. Okay, calm down. You ain't for the medical table at the moment. Plus, UEFA's on our side too. Hey, look, maybe UEFA have done a bit of business for us. You know, who knows? Yeah. Pay back on Raybo. Pay back on Raybo. Come on, let's do it. Exactly. Man. So for my for my attack, for my lineup, yeah, I'm probably going to have to go with um, Thiago. I'm just hoping Thiago is back because I mm. thought that a striker like Benzema is able to drop off, you know, pick off midfields, you know, really yeah. bring people into attack. I feel like having someone like Thiago there is going to be, it's going to be, yeah. it's going to be, it's going to be key, you know. As much as yeah. I like Christian this season, um, I'm going to go Aspia at right centre back, which is a bit of a, a harsh, a hard one to pick because I feel like Aspie one v one defensively, he he still hasn't dropped, he hasn't dropped a beat, but it's that physical aspect whereby I feel like a Vinicius could, could take advantage, you know, pick the PMP. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's what worries me just a tad bit. So if you were to play Zuma there, I'd I'd, I'd be I, I I wouldn't be able to just disagree with that. Um, the other centre back slot, Rudiger. I've got, I've got to give Rudiger his praise. You know, since he's come back, he has been looking strong. You know, like well, when I, I, I'm not gonna lie. You know, last season when Rudiger was injured, a lot of people saying he's our best centre back. I was thinking, no, there's no way. For me, it was Zuma, and maybe that's because it was a two centre back formation, and that, that suited him a lot, a lot more um, in comparison to Rudiger. But yeah, I feel like in this, in this current setup, I feel like it allows Rudiger to Rudiger to use his passing range. It allows him to dribble the ball and bring it into midfield and just attacking areas. So I'm gonna go with him. Wing-back areas, I'm going to go with Cho and, Cho and Chilwell. The reason why, I feel like when you have someone like Mendy out, and if they have to play Marcelo, mm. there's no reason for Cho not to be able to take advantage of that. Mm. You know, like, that, that, that is going to be... Uh, that is going to be... That's going to be, like, the, the where you win the match. That's you know, the, the game, right? areas. 
the midfield areas with the, with the, with the, with the missing players and that wide area there whereby they have Mendy who's out class extreme PMP. And as Dan said, you know, I'm gonna go Mr. Chelsea. That, that's 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 my first name of the, of the team sheet. The Mason Mount, he has to be there. Um, because him and Cho, their their link up is amazing. It's been like this is the academy and it's gone through it's seems which I love to see. I mean the attack. The attack is a tough one because I feel like if if it's a Varane playing, I'm not sure if I, if I fancy Timo, you know, like to be able to out outburst him, if you go know I mean. So maybe having a Giroud there. You know, a target man who's able to bring down play, bring others into into, into possession, or maybe even ta- maybe even a tabby. But unfortunately, you know, we all know he's not in the manager's um, favors at the moment. So, for me personally, I'd go Mount, Kai, and probably Pulisic again. I'd probably go the same lineup, just just because I feel like in a game like this, where whereby they have so many injuries in such key positions, I feel like it's the perfect opportunity to go for the go for the juggler. It's perfect. Like the, the stars are aligning. The stars are aligning. That's what I'll say. That's what I'll say. Uh, Back so to you, Reeves. My, my, my team would be, obviously, Edouard Mendy and goal. Uh, I'd actually have, honestly, I'd actually have Reese James at right wing back because defensively, I think you need to be very switched on against Vinicius. Although I don't really rate him as a player, he is a bit of a threat and dangerous with his speed. Hudson or shouldn't really be focusing too much on defending. We need a lot of cover on that side for Aspilicueta, whose legs aren't want what they were. I'm going to have Aspi at right centre-back. I'd have Chris Denson over Thiago Silva in that match. Um, then I'd have Rudiger, who again has been in sensational form under Tuchel. Chilwell, absolutely have him at left wing-back. The midfield, if we have Kovacic back, God willing. If we have Kovacic back, it'd be Kovacic. And what are you saying, bro? Revenge tour? Yeah, it'd be Kovacic and Jorginho. And then I'd have a Mason Mount midfield. He has to play. And then I'd have um, Kai Havertz. And I think Kai Havertz or Hudson, and Hudson Odoi at left wing. Oh, no, no, no. And I say this, and I say this because I feel like that left wing role can actually be alternated. I don't think that right now there's a fixed winner in that position. I think Pulisic has done really, really well in that position, but I think him and Timo Werner kind of alternate that position. Um, But I feel like when you need someone to be composed in the final third, I think a Pulisic or Hudson-Odoi will be a better option than a Timo Werner. Um, But then that's just my opinion. That's just my opinion. You know... you know, I've seen the video. Eden's back for the game. I've seen, I've seen him, I've seen him. Mm. Eden Azad is back, but that could actually play into our hands because I don't think he's necessarily sharp. Um, and Vinicius will be benched then if he does start. So we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be a very interesting game. But yeah, lads, we'll just leave it there. We'll no, this is questions. Oh shit! Sorry, my bad. This is questions. We might have to do that. Go through them. Zoom through them. But yeah, yeah but I'll, I'll, I'll zoom through them. Again, you know, shout out to the, the guys following us on Twitter, the guys on Discord. Yeah. Guys, head over to the Discord. You know, it's popping. We probably have the most popping chat. Like, you look away from your phone for one second, and there's a hundred messages coming through. There's always lovely conversations going on. You know, people are put, put, putting in them nice little pieces. You know, we have people that are interested in lineups, you know, the, the tactical aspects of football, the medical aspects of football. There's so much going on. Like, you, there, there'll be a space for you. 
and yeah um so yeah to go into the um listeners questions shout out sam friend of the show sam wants to know if we are going to continue with this formation who do you think is our best um options in the double pivot i'm going to start with you means oh i think kante is our one true world-class player so i think personally it'd be kante Georgina has been so good for Tuchel. He's been so good. It's hard to, and so it's Kovacic. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's been so. It's so hard because all of them have been actually excellent for Tuchel. I think the one that's performed the least best is Kante, but Kante is again our truly world-class player. So for me, I'm going to go Kante Kovacic. I'm going to have to go there. Although it's it's not a slight on Jorginho because I think he's been excellent under Tuchel. Yeah, I, I'd go. Um... I'd go Jorginho and Kovacic as I starting just because I think with Kante, I'm in a protection. Like Kovacic looks robust, Jorginho looks fine. I think Kante needs protection. So I'm okay with him just being used and being protected and then them two being a default. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, but um, me personally, I'm going to go Kante and Kovacic. And if you were to ask me this before the season, I would say never, ever play them two together. I don't think they work well together, but... Yeah. That Atletico Madrid game, I don't think I've seen a better midfield performance as a parent in, in Chelsea shirts in, in a very long time. They were they were like they were literally connected. They were literally connected, and I and I felt it was it was actually confident to see that they could actually be able to adapt their games. You know, one of them hopefully do the holding role, and the other person does, does the ball progression. And for me personally, I do think having those two there, being as mobile as they are. I feel like it, it comes as, as a good strength. Um, I'm no, there's obviously no slight to Jorginho. I think he's been top quality. Since you tell us coming, you know, he's had a couple of dips, you know, all of them had a couple of dips, you know, it's expected of footballers, but yeah, for me personally, I'm going to go Kante and Kovacic. So yeah, um, going on to the next question, um, shout out Alexis. Alexis um, wants to know um, our thoughts on um, if um, Kai was to stay in the false nine, he feels that the real um, area of, um, the real area of improvement would be the right wing position. And he wants to know what, what right wingers would you guys look to, um, bring in and would you actually I'm going to ask another question off that would you actually want to see Kai play that um, false nine going forward I'm going to start with you Dan um, I don't mind Kai false nine as long as we get someone a winger that can score goals or not just a winger because it could it could be I, I wouldn't mind Central or Jao Felix they don't have to play right wing but both can play right wing both can play left wing both can play in the twin tens and I think both of them have good finishing um, especially Sancho from close range and then Joe Felix, he's got like, he can, he's got a hard shot from range. I know they don't necessarily score as much. Ideally, it'll be Mbappe. Hopefully with the Super League dusted, it means that Madrid can't afford a Mbappe and then maybe we can do a thing. But um, I wouldn't mind him playing up front if we get a proper goal scorer. Um, the only thing is getting a, a wide goal scorer, that's difficult. Hmm. I'd, say San- I'd, say, I'd say Sancho. I'd say Sancho would probably be the ideal. Mm. Obviously Mbappe, of course, but you know, we'll see, man. I don't think that, that Mbappe, Mbappe move is possible, but if it is possible, then yeah, do a deal, man. Yeah, man. Mbappe is always my dream, but and you guys know how, how big of a fan I am of, of Sancho. Like, if there's any player that I'd have at Chelsea, it'd, it'd probably be him. And it would even be him or Greenish, you know. I feel like there would be two top quality options. I do feel Greenish is obviously going to be better centrally or off the right, but off the left, sorry, but I do think he probably could do a job on the right. Um, the next question, um, shout out Luke, Luke Crowley on Twitter. He wants to know, um, so he says, sorry, um, we should be proud of the fans, but clearly, but surely the board should resign. Roman should should commit to redeveloping Stanford Bridge as a show of faith and trust, which has now been damaged. 
make the club more sustainable should he leave slash be forced out. Needs, what are your thoughts on that in the statement? You got me, bro. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I think it's a very precarious thing to, to kind of order the owner, especially who's looked after us so over these years. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, it's a bit of a hard one. I don't think, I don't think so. I do think Sanford Bridge should be redeveloped, but that's been stopped by the pitch owners. So, you know, it just, it all depends really. I think someone from the board must be held accountable for this decision though. Absolutely. For sure. Um, I don't know who, but whoever made the decision needs to go. Really, truly. Mm. What about you, me? What about you, Dan? Sorry. Um, yeah, I feel like he's got had, he's got too much goodwill to. I don't even think he's really that involved, so I can't really put it on Roman. But I do feel like me said someone needs to be identified, and they need to be maybe even in open to say, okay, reprimanded. I don't know, but um, yeah, I'm not I'm not out for blood anyway. Yeah, it is an interesting one, and yeah, even even with the whole um, the whole st- stadium redevelopment, you know, there has there have been a lot of like conversations that have come about um, in recent days. Um, people saying that they, they'd like to see Roman invest in it, but if I look at um, other clubs who bought new stadiums, you know, spend billions on new stadiums, I don't really see a, a return on investment in terms of like, the quality on the pitch because that's like where I look at. You know, I look at Tottenham. Yeah. Obviously, it's a new stadium. They haven't really invested that much. You know, I look at Arsenal. That's a story for another day. If I look at Atletico Madrid, you know, this season, yep, they've competed a bit, but I just I just don't feel like a stadium is what we need. You know, I, I feel like, obviously, the, the stadium could be redeveloped. You know, it is a nice stadium. And for me, personally, I don't want a new stadium because I feel like one of the things that makes Stanford Bridge so special is how close it is to the pitch. And a lot of these new stadium designs have, like, you as fans be, like, so far away, like the West Ham Stadium, the Tottenham Stadium. Like, I, I just don't, I just don't, I feel like you lose a lot of that, um, that closeness to the players and I feel like that, that intimacy would be nice to see the spot on bro that, that's the word the intimacy and I feel like if there was to be redevelopers that would be lovely to see but I don't really think Roman owes us owes us that because if I look at if we look I was actually looking at it earlier today um, at transfer box there, is, there hasn't been a club apart from City that spent more, more than us since mm. Roman's come in that's more than Real Madrid that's more than Barcelona Barcelona who've spent half a billion on the players like Coutinho Dembele and yeah. Adam, Adam Griezmann all, all in one go and I do have to say that that, that for me is, is a massive show of faith you know he's put massive investment in we've reaped the rewards we've, we've, we've enjoyed trophies we're enjoying a new academy like up keep coming through like I just feel like as an owner I don't really think he, he owes us too much other than I, I, I generally don't know like I feel like people are being a bit a bit harsh you know because we don't yeah. know what's happened I do yeah. understand people are angry and they want answers because Obviously, this has been this has been a massive thing, you know. Like you don't often see your, your club just make these kind of big decisions and not um actually bring the fans in. Mm. And yeah, I do feel like it would be nice to actually hear from Roma to see like what happened, uh, and what what would happen going forward. And and yeah, so um, I've got two. I've actually got two more questions, but more so coming from me myself. Um, there was a there was a recent um um discussion, you know, um, and regarding how these clubs should be punished. Um, people were mentioning stuff like points deductions, um, domestic expulsion, and one of the most interesting things that I, I saw and probably quite um, dramatic and extreme was Stan Collymore who, who felt that these clubs who um, were involved in the Super League, they should be 
banned from the transfer market for three to five years. And I wanted mm-hmm. to know what what are you guys' thoughts? Do you guys think there are any, any potential benefits? Because I do think there are some. Or do you think Stan's just been a bit too dramatic? I'm going to start with you, Dan. Yeah, when it comes down to it, um, one of the through lines with the Super League story is people could see night and day the reaction to when um, they were threatened by competition and money and their reaction to racism. So I feel like if they were to do that, then that kind of doubles down on that, that harsh punishment for this. Um, I'm fine with, even like when we had the last transfer ban, I'm fine with it. I feel like we've got enough, like the solutions in the house. Sometimes we just don't know it yet. And I feel like there is a positive when we do get transfer bans, because listen, if we didn't have the last transfer ban, our attack could be Jovic, Pepe, you know what I'm saying? It could have been, it could be mad. Yeah. And and sometimes like it's like with Chelsea, we spend so much money and we have so many flops. Like, and it's because sometimes we just don't take the time to work with the players that are already here. So obviously, if it happens, we'll eat it because we've got a fantastic academy and our squad's sick. But obviously, you wouldn't choose to have a ban. Agreed. Similar, similar, really. I feel like we'd be able to handle it well. Um, I don't agree with the ban. I think it's quite excessive. Three seasons, a long, long time. Um, so I don't agree with that at all. Um, I'd probably say I'd take a, a, a 12 month, so two, two window ban. I think that would be a good enough, a substantial enough punishment and fines, of course. Um, but beyond that, I don't think, um, I think they put the, they kind of did, you know, in essence, bring the game into disrepute, disrepute um, mm-hmm. in their attempts to, to exit, um, uh, you know, um, UEFA and the, gr- the grips of UEFA uh, and in doing so becoming going to a closed league what they tried to do I don't think leaving UEFA is actually too much of a bad thing but I don't think what they tried to do was in the essence and the spirit of the sport and that's why I think they should be punished um, fairly significantly I don't think they'll be I don't, don't think they'll be punished now um, in regards to like this season Champions League because there's too much on the line um, but yeah yeah, I was going to say the, hypocr- the hypocrisy of Boris Johnson leading Brexit and then condemning the Premier League clubs that wanted to exit as well. Like, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Go. It's, a bit cra- it's a bit crazy. You got, you got, literally got the Dukes, got the Prime Minister, you got Everything. Royals talking about it not being right, it's not fair. So, yeah, it was an absolute madness, absolute madness. But, boys, we're going to leave it there. Oh, man, sorry if we didn't get through all of your listeners' questions. We'll definitely be back and cover them all next week. Hopefully, by then, some of them will be answered. And, you know, win. Well, hopefully, win against West Ham and win and have a positive result um, against Real Madrid. Um, but, yes, in terms of the patron, please, guys, help us out. Join the patron. You get some additional content. You've obviously got Babs. You've got Timson. You've got, you've got Dan Soft. You've got myself. You've got everyone really joining in and pro- providing weekly content for you guys. So feel free to subscribe. Um, there's always pre-match and post-match discussions on there. So yeah, feel free. Babs, is there anything you want to add? Yeah, mate, you were spot on. It was a good, it was a good episode. It was some good discussions and yeah, peace. Dan, closing words from you. Um, rest in piss, ESL. We've got a title there, man. Yeah, man, no, that's no. it. Take it easy. Peace.
Hazard. Trying to find a way Sports Social Podcast Network.